We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA podcast brought to you by zonecoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Here with Charlie Johnson. It's been two weeks since we recorded a podcast. I just got back from Las Vegas. Well, I just got back a couple days ago from Las Vegas Summer League, and I made a list of a million things that have happened since 15 days since last time we did a podcast. 15. 15, yeah. That's it's like July a record. Did it? I think, I think so. <laughs> a lot. I think we're going to break that record, though. In August. Okay. I think that's, <laughs> I think it's time to, <laughs> All right, sounds good. to break that record. But um, we missed a lot these last two I know. Years. I made a list. Uh, officially signed, or I don't even know if officially signed, the news broke of Jake Lehman, mm-hmm. Noel Vonley, Jordan Bell signings, traded for Shabazz Napier, traded for Trayvon Graham. Got something? Oh, I was just going to say, I remember Jordan Bell. They, yeah, right before that we. That was <laughs> right before we recorded. Um, the, the Culver trade actually happened. Obviously, we knew about that, but... It was so weird when you're in, like there in Vegas on July 6th was the day that it happened. And so, you know, like tr- traditionally, in a media sense, it's like, oh, big press conference for the new rookie, like lottery yeah. pick could be the you know, face of the franchise. And he just kind of like, we're all, we're all just waiting there. And he walks in this like weird entryway underneath the stadium. And we're all just like, they're waiting. We're like, hey. <laughs> Time to do your press conference. There's like music playing and everything. It's that rule is stupid. They need to figure out a way to change it. So it's just such not a, for the media, just yeah. in general. Like Culver would have played in summer league if it, it were for it's that. It's just all a bummer for Culver because not only would he have played in summer league and presumably that training in those games could have helped him, but also like he's a 19 year old who just got drafted and he on some level like has earned this press conference, uh, like yeah, this publicity. I actually didn't even think about it. It's that. too bad that's, that's that he a, had to like do right. it that way. 
Yeah. Um, other than that, Gerson Rosas also spoke to us there, which I think kind of stirred up a, a narrative where he said, we're not done making moves yet. Um, and, and like made it pretty clear that the, even though D'Angelo Russell didn't happen, that the pursuit of big time players to add to this team doesn't stop. Naturally, that led to a whole like what seventy two hours. People like, well, <laughs> what about Russell Westbrook? Like, yeah. he's good, kind of. <laughs> so, so that was like a that was a whole thing. Obviously, that came to a close when Westbrook was traded to uh, to Houston, which is crazy in of his own right. Yeah, and Kawhi and Paul George that happened too. That happened too. <laughs> they're <laughs> they're on the same team. Um, Tyus Jones no longer on the Timberwolves. Uh, he's in Memphis, and then the the summer league team won six games. We're like kind of good. Yeah, they were fun. It actually was. It's I, we talked about this before I went, um, but this is my third it was my third year covering summer league, and the first two years, man, like the team was just it was so bad. That just uh, comparatively to the other, because you're there, yeah, you know, you're there, you're watching all the games, and so like, your your first year would have been the year after they were good with Tyus Jones. Yes, yeah, and so it was the, it was the year one. Chris of Dunn, yeah, yeah, but. But Chris Dunn wasn't there. No, it was like nobody. It yeah. Was like, it was like Emile Jefferson and Perry Allen. I mean, it, they they didn't, just like they haven't got anything out of the G League or the two-way contracts the past few years. I mean, they didn't have anything at Summer League. It kind of starts there. So, I don't know. I guess I went into it with you know, kind of low expectations. You're like looking at your schedule like, okay, when does Zion play? <laughs> like, you know, trying to figure out Brandon Clark. You know, all, all like the actually interesting players. And then, you know, the, the Wolves started and they were like, I mean, clearly better than a lot of the other teams, which was it was interesting because I feel Kate is a pretty good player in that context, but um, they, they didn't have they didn't have like the one star. I mean, none of their guys mm-hmm. made the the all summer league team, whatever that's worth. But they didn't they didn't have players like that. Like they were actually a team, and yeah. that, in a weird way, that's almost better. Totally, like it, it signals you know. That signals more to me that they played well as a team. They played a style that you like to see them play. Not just offensively. Everyone's making a big deal out of the shot charts, but they played defense well mm-hmm. and executed uh, you know, on, on that end well. And Until last night, yeah. Until last night, yeah. yeah. Um, well, I think just poise, when you watch Summer League games, poise stands out so much, and that's why I think that Keita is a mm-hmm. good Summer League player. And he was last year as well just because there's a smoothness to his game and mm-hmm. he doesn't seem to get overwhelmed and he doesn't seem to try to do too much. And conversely, I think that's why Josh Okogie probably doesn't stand out in summer right. league because that's not his mo. He's just trying to go, you know, as fast as he can and make something happen. The, and that's not. Yeah, and I, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make too much of summer league, but I, I think as good as the team was, and we saw interesting things from Kada, and I think Nas Reed was, was interesting in his own right. Some other random guys who might get a a shot training camp or two way and Mitch Creek and. Keelan Martin, um, that was good. But, I mean, Josh Okogie, maybe it's that setting, but he really, I mean, did not stick out in the way a lot of the other second-year players in the league. Like, I mean, Bruce Brown was was dominating. Totally. Lonnie Walker, I think, averaged like 26 points a game. Like, yeah. that's – granted, that's the difference between Lonnie Walker and Josh Okogie is <laughs> Lonnie Walker's like, just put me in an open gym. Like, I'm going to go get buckets. Yep, exactly. And Josh is like, just put me in an open gym. I'm run back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's his game. He – Maybe in that sense, I think Josh will probably be a better NBA player this year yeah. than Lonnie Walker. But in, in the summer, it would have been good to see more out of Josh. And 
effectively attacking the basket, maybe a little bit more with the shot, but that's... It's only a few games. I agree with you. That's kind of what it would have been nice to see is like a little bit of, you know, even like flashes of development with the handle and, and with driving through traffic, but you don't... You know, he was intentional, though. I don't think his handle or his shot was better, but like you could you could see he was thinking more about it. And he was like, okay, what are the things that, you know, I need to be intentional about slowing down and, and making reads in this way. He's just never going to be a fluid ball handler. Yeah. And he's never going to have the sweetest jump shot. It, totally. And for that reason, he was never really going to be a summer league star. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I don't even actually really, I'm summer league out. I don't really <laughs> want to dig into it that much, but all those other things happen. The, the league has shifted, and finally, you know, free agency has played its way out. There's not going to be another un, – it's unlikely the Wolves are going to make another meaningful move. Uh, they never ended up using a big chunk of their, their mid-level exception, and there's no one else really to, to give it to at this point. So maybe maybe a trade happens before the season. I think, you know, think back to the Kyrie Irving, Kyrie Irving, Isaiah Thomas trade. I think that happened like August 22nd or something. Like – Things could happen, but now, as we're back here, summer league's over. I think it's it's the time to assess what happened and what didn't happen, and then I think beyond that, given that it wasn't flashy, it's like okay, what does this mean for the future? Yep. And um, you you wrote a piece. We both kind of wrote overarching. This is what Rosas is doing. Um, articles, but kind of in, in different ways. So I think it's just yours, kind of dug more into the now mm-hmm. of you had these options, you chose not to use them, uh, and these are the guys you brought in. So I don't know. Yeah. Talk about that a little bit well, and, and, and what are, happened. Totally. And these are some of the implications. Well, I just think that the free agency period was so interesting and kind of as a cherry on top of it, not like on top of a Sunday because I don't think it was like an ice cream off season. <laughs> I got you. But, but the cherry on top of it, was not matching the Tyus Jones offer sheet. And I thought that was just so interesting because of how it kind of made even clearer Rosas's vision mm-hmm. in that he's just going to, I titled my article, Gerson Rosas is keeping the powder dry or the Timberwolves powder dry because that is, it has become rather abundantly clear that that's what he's trying to do. He's trying to create as much flexibility as possible within the roster so that he can leave himself open to make moves moving forward so that in August, if if Kyrie Irving, you know, quote unquote Kyrie Irving, the next Kyrie Irving becomes available, he has as good a chance as possible to get him. Yeah. And it also, it really brought me back to a quote from Rosas earlier in the offseason, and I'm going to paraphrase this, but at one point when asked about free agency, he said, you know, free agency isn't where we're going to make our bread and butter. We're going to do that through the draft and through trades. And I thought, You know, first of all, I think that's a good philosophy to have, especially if you're the general manager of the Minnesota Timberwolves, because as annoying as it can be to kind of harp on this point over and over again, the Timberwolves just don't get marquee free agents. So if you're going to put all your eggs in that basket, it seems like you're going to be disappointed more often than not. But he seemed to treat free agency almost like another draft. Like, let's get these question mark guys who are relatively young, who maybe, you know, maybe they stick and maybe they don't. But either way, it's not going to hamstring us moving forward yeah you said in your your article you said evidently he sees adaptability as a more valuable asset in that pursuit than the production of players like jones or sarge Mm -hmm. and yeah i i agree with that um the 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 kind of the next phase of that is so you're keeping the powder dry one-year deals right you got these 
these near minimum contract dudes. Cool. Why didn't you sign? You had this mid-level exception, $9.3 million that you can just use. Why didn't you offer that to one player? Like, like Trevor Ariza signed with the Suns last year. Granted, it was for $15 million, more than the mid-level, but why didn't you go out and do that? And I think that's the biggest question mark of the offseason because you could you know, have gone and got a player that was somewhat interesting in that range. But then as I'm going through it, I think the market just bore out as it did. And almost it wasn't like 2016 where everyone was getting these fat four-year contracts. But, I mean, it's a, it's basically, if you look at it, it's like all two-year and three-year deals. And it, I went through, and these are the only players who were signed for on a one-year contract that was for under the mid-level of 9.3. Alfred Payton, $8 million in New York. Garrett Temple, $5 million in, where did he sign? Brooklyn. Uh, yeah, Brooklyn, right, um, right away. And then Reggie Bullock, two years, or it was four, $4 million as a player option the second year, but that was a $21 million deal initially. It went mm-hmm. down to four because he failed his physical. Darius Miller um, was one year, $7 million. TJ McConnell was one year, $3.5 million. Wayne Ellington, one year, eight. And then Noah Vonley. Like, that is not a lot of players who signed one-year deals for above the minimum mm-hmm. in that range. You know what I'm saying? So it wasn't like... There weren't guys that he chose. He did. There wasn't like a bidding war to get yeah. in there. If if the plan was keep the powder dry, do one year, sign a guy at the mid level on a one year thing. Like those were your options. Mm-hmm. So so I mean, what are you gonna? I mean, you want to? And maybe they don't even come. Like Garrett Temple, he's a good player. Like he signed a five million dollar deal. Does he come to Minnesota if it's nine? It it's, could not be a more different situation than where he signed up to play in Brooklyn. Exactly. I, I think that you make a good point of like, just because Wayne Ellington signed for one year, $8 million, doesn't mean he would have signed that same contract for the Wolves. Yep. And I think that kind of gets back to Rosas's. Now, this is all speculation. Sure. Maybe, maybe they could have gotten one of those guys at that price, and maybe they should have. And and I would tell you, they should have. If they could have. If they if they could have, they should have because you have the space below the tax. You have the middle level exception. You can keep the powder dry. You can do all the things you're saying you want to do. You can go get the the marquee free agent in a year if you want that has no effect on it. Yep. But presumably getting Wayne Ellington would have meant 2 and 15. Mm-hmm. And then your powder isn't quite as dry. Exactly. And that's a very similar thing to the Sarge and Jones situation where it's like nice player would help us, but not as much as this flexibility might. And I'm looking at those two year ones and it's, it's like, all right. So tomorrow Carroll got like two fifteen. Like, is that worth get, keeping the, or wetting the powder for like, <laughs> no, I mean, Ish Smith two twelve, Frank Kaminsky two ten, Rashawn Holmes two ten, Boban two seven, Whoa. like you know, and it's Cantor two ten. I mean, I'm, th- that's I know that's all of them. Ed Davis was two ten. I like that one, yeah. but I mean, he chose Utah, a, a, con- a legitimate contender. So, I think like the play is maybe you pay up for one of those guys on a two year deal. So Ed Davis signs a two ten. Maybe you say, hey, one nine, come here. Yeah, like. Maybe that's the move, but again, we don't know. We don't know what Ed Davis's subjective opinion is of of that situation. So I don't even think that was really a pool that they could wait. And I, to to me, it's like those aren't great options. And a lot of those guys are on good teams yep. that I think they would prioritize being on over the Timberwolves, who we're going to get to eventually later in this podcast, have the biggest win total of one of the worst teams in the NBA. Like. You can be, we can be optimistic about Cat, and anyone can, but the way 
the Timberwolves are viewed in the NBA is as one of the worst teams in the league. Yeah. In a bad market. Yeah, absolutely. So that that has the effect. I think the only real thing you can talk about is different minimum guys. And that's like, you know, Anthony Tolliver signed a minimum there uh, in, he went to Portland. Mm -hmm. Like Austin Rivers, he he went to Houston. Like maybe you pay him above the minimum. Uh, Wilson Chandler, he went to Brooklyn. Glenn Robinson went to Golden State. But like, you notice in the theme of those teams? Yep. Those guys signed for the minimum because those are good teams. Yeah. So it's like, I, 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 you know, I was sitting there at summer league and I'm like, okay, what, is something coming? Are they is, are they waiting on an offer sheet for like Ubre or whatever? Like, why would you not use this space that you have? And I think the answer is that they, at all costs, it is flexibility next year. And to that point, that's why they didn't give Tyus. That's why they didn't match for Tyus because Tyus is in that. I mean, he ended up signing a three year up to twenty eight million dollar deal. Mm-hmm. That's a you know that's a a hefty chunk yeah going absolutely. going forward for me I, I mean because I don't necessarily operate along that same line of logic I think I would have actually matched that for Tyus because I believe you could trade it in a year if you needed to but if the mo is keeping the powder dry at all costs for next season for pursuing a stud this would be the off season you would have yeah absolutely and I. The the point about trading, being able to trade Tyus is such an interesting one to me because like in theory, I agree with you, but then you kind of start to think about it and you're like, you know, who next year is going to trade for a $10 million backup, $8 million backup point guard? I don't want to be disingenuous. But I also think that the Anthony Tolliver point is a really smart one because that's the kind of guy that if he's going to get a one-year minimum deal in Portland, and again, you don't know, maybe it, it was a trying year last year and he was ready to get out of Dodge and he was ready to, ro- ready to go play for a team that was you know, kind of going to be in the playoffs mm-hmm. because he's getting to be a little bit older. But maybe not. And maybe you could have had him. Maybe you could have had him for a chunk of that MLE, not even the minimum. And man, that's I like I do like the idea of getting these younger guys, but... It was interesting that they took it to such an extreme to only get the younger guys and to not hold on to a Tolliver or to get somebody like that with some more experience. I, I tweeted this out um, yesterday. I'm trying to find it here. It's last season the Minnesota Timberwolves had played 13 players, had 13 players on the roster who were 26 years old. Out of the 17? Yeah, or I think it was like 18. But yeah. yeah. That, yeah, that received minutes hmm. were 26 years old or older. And this season, they have 11 players on the roster who are 26 years old or younger. That's on this roster right now. I mean, I guess Tyrone Wallace's contract's not guaranteed. Maybe they waive it. But, I mean, you're going to have half the roster be guys who are under 26 now. Yeah. So, yeah, to to your point, it's this this massive identity shift in the sense of the the type of guys you are getting in that they're young. I mean, this this now becomes one of the youngest teams in the league. You know, like – I think the analogy we, we used to always use with Tibbs was, you know, he hit the accelerator in, you know, when, when he made the, the Butler move and the Gibson and the Teague deal, he hit the accelerator to, you know, make this team veteran to be ready to go now. And it's like Grison Rosas has turned the car around and almost hit the accelerator in the other direction. And Katz is kind of there watching the car go back and forth. Yeah. Like, um, I, I mean, not either of those paths are wrong at the time. We we're both like, you know, Jimmy Butler, that's a great player. Like, obviously, yeah. that wasn't, I wasn't great like, trade. 
in a vacuum wasn't a a bad move. I mean, you can question Teague. I think he did at the I time. Think, I, yeah. I, I questioned Gibson even, who ended up, I think, being fine. But um, I hated the Taj Gibson signing when it <laughs> happened. And I, it's kind of hard to admit that because he's been – he was everything over the last two years right. to this team. I mean, yeah. He was still 14, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. I don't well, know. I think another interesting thing – it's hard, a little bit hard for me to pair – the these two things one where you know we want to keep the powder dry we want to sign these younger guys because you know there's a chance that we can take advantage of our you know new player development program and help them turn into better players than they are today to not be minimum players in the future so that's great and maybe maybe you're hoping to like massage their value before the trade deadline so you can trade them before the end of the year even or after december Mm -hmm. 15th but what if they do play really well? You know, what if Noah Vonley shoots 38% from three and he's do a nice raise next year? Your strategy is still going to be, I assume, Rosas' strategy will still tend toward this boomer bust motto, but then they won't re-sign Noah Vonley because that wouldn't mesh up with that strategy. So I don't really totally... No, that's the see- downside to it. It's like, okay, great, they're young, but they're just here this year. Yeah, what are the I mean besides Lehman, who's here for three years, but right. what are the odds any of those other Jordan ones? Bell, yeah. If they, unless they play poorly, that's like their best bet at being back here okay, next year. But but we went through those guys who were one year deals. Mm-hmm. We went through them, all, all of them. What was it? Six, seven. One of them you signed in Novon, like guys who were above the minimum and under the MLE on a one year contract. Seven of them. You sign Vonley, and then you go out and also get Four more guys who are who are on one-year contracts in Bell for actually the minimum. You get Wallace for not even guaranteed at the minimum. And then it wasn't a signing. It was, a, it was the trade for Napier and Graham. So these were extremely scarce assets to be had, guys on one-year contracts, period. I think of that crop, they did well. Yeah. If you're like, we're restricting ourselves to one-year deals, pick from this group. That's I, I think the way that worked out could have been way worse. I agree. Because, I mean, they're all minimums or near minimums. We talk about this all the time. Like, can you show me an NBA skill? Mm-hmm. Then you're worth the minimum. And there's a reason to be excited about each of these guys. I'm curious, which are you uh, around the idea that they could really make an impact this season, that they could outplay what they've done in the past? Which of those guys are you the most excited Shabazz about? Napier. Really? Mm-hmm. I think you go back. Two years ago, I remember writing a a, a story. Uh, it was either leading up to a game where the Wolves were playing Portland, or afterwards, and the Blazers had been playing or or in that game played for like a long chunk of the game. Uh, Dame, CJ McCollum, and Shabazz Napier all at the same time, and those dudes are all like six three and a half or shorter. And the reason I wrote it, it was because it was at the time where. Tyus Jones was playing really well. Tyus Jones had just been starting for Jeff, injured Jeff Teague. And then um, and then Teague was back, and Tyus had just moved back into this, like, 14-minute-a-game role. And I was just thinking, I was like, can we see them play together at all? Like, put them out there. And, and my example was, look at Portland. They're playing three point guards, and they're good. They had the sixth defensive rating in the league that year. Wow. Like, they were a good team. Who was their defensive coach that year? David Vanderpool. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I just think I think this team and I, my understanding of Rosa's vision is he wants to play. 
he says this, he said this every single time I ask him a question about position stuff, and I think he's sick of me asking position questions. He's like, we're one point guard, three wings, and a big. It's like, okay, get that. But in in that gray area between the point guard and wings is playing multiple point guards at the same time. I think you're going to see that because there's going to be a lot of guys who are lead lead ball handlers for, for the Wolves this year in be that Teague, Napier, Wallace, Culver, Wiggins. I can see all of that. So I do think it's important to have a guard for the minimum in Napier who has shown that he could play two guard alongside a ball dominant point guard. And I think that'll be a really good value and be, you know, be competent on, on both ends that that season, his net rating alongside when he played alongside Damian Lillard plus 12.3. Wow. That's very good. It's so, that's really impressive. And just another guy who will shoot the ball, which is a good thing. I'm also excited about Noah Vonley. I, I actually think that I don't think he's got like any offensive game. I think that there's like some talk that I okay, I just saw I see some, you know, Taj Gibson replacement stuff floating around there. And I don't think that that's fair to Taj because Taj is great on the block and I don't think Noah Vonley is. But I, I, I this optimism like, right? You're just talking about like seeing stuff on Twitter. Like yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, seeing yeah. these things like, yeah, Noah Vonley next Taj Gibson. like there is a ton of optimism like Jake Lehman is going to be like the future on the wing. And this, it's like, wow, we really shifted from like the Tibbs, everything's burning into like yeah. Tyrone Wallace, man, backup point guard of the future. Like maybe he starts next year. What's Teague's like chill, but I'm with you. Yeah. But I, I mean, I do think he has, if he can hone that shot and keep developing it, he has what it takes. Uh, and it kind of goes back to what I said. If he has a great year, like he's probably not going to be back. But at least this year, he's got a chance to be an extremely switchable player within a scheme, within a defensive scheme that's just trying to be more flexible. I, I think I didn't like when you said earlier that if Noah Vonley has a really good year and he shoots 38%, like I don't think that's what makes Noah Vonley have a really good year. You know what I'm saying? Like I, I don't, sure. I don't think if we're like Noah Vonley was great for the Wolves this year, it's because man, he knocked down 38 percent of two and a half threes per game. Like I think it will be that he makes a massive difference on the defensive glass. That's a huge part, underrated I think, of why the Wolves have stunk at defense for the past four years. They're bottom six in defensive rating in the past four years, but they're also bottom. Four, I think, in defensive rebounding rate all of those years. So mm-hmm. if Vonley can be a, a be on the glass with Cat, and he's I, a good rebounder, he's a, he, that, yeah. I think that's his one skill. Yeah, um, for like for sure skill. And then I don't know, like let's see if he can situationally play off the dribble from like the elbow a little bit. He obviously had a long leash to be able to like do whatever kind of the hell he wanted in New York because it was New York. Yeah, but I think it'll be kind of like a combination of those things. I don't see him being a stretch big, which seems kind of weird in the way yeah. Rosas is talking I, about this. And maybe I didn't phrase this well, but I see, because I agree with you, I think that his his value skills are defense and rebounding. But I think that what gets him a contract that you know makes him not on the Timberwolves next year, what really makes this like he decided to take a one-year deal, and what really makes that worth it, I they, think. They tried to do multiple years. Yeah. So I think he's trying to bet on himself, and I think he probably will show that rebounding and defensive prowess. But the way that he's going to really like get a good contract next year is by showing something on the offensive end, I think. Right. And I think the easiest way for him to do that would just 
be able to stretch the floor. Mm-hmm. So, and, and you know, maybe that's too granular, but... So, I'm ex- I mean, I, like, Von Lee is the... And I, I put this in my story I wrote today. It's like, he's the enigma. I have no idea where he fits. I don't know what position he plays. I don't get how it works because because Rosa says point guard three wings and a big. Is Noah Vonley a wing? Well, anybody he's talking about in that position would have to be. I mean, but so the, I asked Rosa. Yeah, I think. And then Von and then Lee he goes, he goes, then he goes. Yeah, he'll play some four and some five. I'm like, well, is, so the four is <laughs> a thing now? Like I don't know. I, I heard I I saw him say that about the four. And thought, well, okay, I thought we were doing a point guard, three <laughs> wings and a big, but I guess you could. And I'm not even ripping on Rosas. It's like the, the whole, and I, 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 I've said this before or I tweeted it or something. I was like, or after that press conference with Rosas, I was like, okay, I'm done trying to figure out positions. Like, it's just not a thing. Yeah. It's, I don't think it's that Rosas is lying or like being coy. It's just like, it doesn't matter. Like, yeah. Well, I think he's at least not saying power forward. I think you can justify and say the four doesn't have to be a big. The four can be a wing. I'm just saying the fourth person yeah. in a lineup, you know, the person who's going to be the fourth biggest or guard the opponent's fourth biggest player generally. He could at least rationalize it that way. But I just think Noah Vonley becomes an interesting fit where he could slot in between Robert. I know, you know, Robert Covington's going to be the four, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Noah Vonley. Yeah, Noah Vonley could slot in between Covington and Towns. Do you think he starts? Because I don't know. I would guess that no. I would guess that either Covington or Lehman start. What do you think? That I was, I, I asked people about this, and it was mixed. My gut tells me he's going to start. Really? Mm-hmm. And I think maybe that shifts as you see, like, a second unit where Covington starts, like, thriving as the stretch four and Culver starts playing well. And then you slide everyone up and you go Covington at the four Wiggins at the three Culver at the two. But if Culver comes off the bench initially, then I think you go Teague Wiggins, Covington, Von Lake cat. That's not what I would do. I would just start with the small guys. Yeah. But I, I don't know. My, my gut tells me that's what's going to happen. My gut just tells me Robert Covington isn't going to start at the four to start the season. It just seems like such a. And big you're just change. saying Layman over Vonley then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, right. Yeah. That's basically the same. Same line of logic. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Vonley just. At some point though, you got to be like, I don't even know. So who helps the defense more, Vonley or Layman? I think Vonley. I. Th- that's I, that, and a, so that's what I'm saying. I think that's why you start it. Yeah. Yeah. You could totally. Yeah. I mean. It's just going to be really interesting to see. They could start somebody at the four who's not on this team right now. That's true. He, I was going to say that too. If they, I mean, do you think they're done making moves? I mean, it seems like this will be a perpetual thing with this front office that they're always looking to make moves. But if you had to guess, do I don't think they make a meaningful move the rest of the offseason. Yeah. Um, the trade deadline, like that's a that's another conversation. But yeah, I think it'll be if something else happens. Rather than be a trade or whatever that is, maybe for a player that's a little bit bigger than these Bell, Vonley, Lehman guys, but not, I don't know, maybe Teague. I think that's like that the, the most impactful move they could make. I'm not even saying in a good way, like would be to move Teague completely and just find a way to make that happen. But I would assume it'll be just small stuff. And then at the deadline, I think they'll be in the mix if someone becomes made available. But really, I don't think the pursuit of that high-end talent that he keeps talking about happens until 
next offseason. I'm not saying it for sure will. You went into that in your piece a little bit, um, listing off who, who are the guys you put off put out there. Beal. Yeah, Beal, McCollum, Booker. Um, who else Drew was Holiday. there? Drew Holiday. Yeah. So, and okay, the the rationale for this is not only that Rosas has said we're always interested in pursuing high-end players. There's also Woj said the Wolves are trying to clear max cap space for next year. And what does that mean? A lot. Like gutting the roster. So, which means? Clearing every single cap hold, trading Teague plus Covington or Wiggins or, or not Teague. Translation being that's not going to happen. Yeah. It means trading for a player who's on a max contract yeah. already. And that's why you put out Beal, McCollum, Booker, Holiday. Yep. How realistic is that, though? Never, never. I mean, it's never like a strong possibility. It's never a likelihood. It's just always something that you're trying to position yourself so that it's a 4% chance rather than a 2% chance. Yeah. I mean, it's so Beal, a year from now, Beal and McCollum will have one year left on their deals, Mm -hmm. which I would think would make them theoretically the most movable. Beal, particularly because the Wizards stink and they're going to stink until John Wall's contract is gone. So intriguing to so many teams. Yes. And, and literally any team. Literally any team. Yeah. Um, McCollum, I, I don't know. I I guess you can paint the Portland's like we hit our ceiling, but I feel like they kind of already have started or, acting that way. Or maybe there's, you know, the star that becomes available is going to Portland, and, you know, Portland has to get rid of uh, CJ McCollum to do that or something yeah. like that. No, that's true. I mean, I think those are the four most most likely. Yeah, and we just talked. You just said four percent for each of them. Well, that, no, yeah. I'm, I'm I'm with you. That I'm not random. even disagreeing yeah. with it. But like, that's the question to be answered is when Rosas says we're clearing max cap space. Okay, translation that means we're trying to trade for a player. Then you start being like, who could those players be? And it's those four. And I tried to find others, and it's like, okay, so there'll be D'Angelo Russell in a year. He'll have three years and ninety million left on his deal. Could could something. Happen there, like yeah, that's probably the fifth. That's probably like yeah, the the next closest because after that it becomes like Kevin loves mm-hmm. like that sort of thing. Or one I put down was Blake Griffin. <laughs> you know, I mean, but it's I actually think Blake Griffin and Cat would be an interesting pairing, but they totally don't you know match up on the the age thing. I don't know. Like I, I'm I literally made a list. It was like the next person I put down was Kyrie Irving. Yeah, it, it's it's that. It's that thin. So I don't know, like, good for Rosas for pursuing that. I think he should, like, do as many 4%ers as you can. But, like, well, I mean, that's why it's called boomer bust. Yeah, but I think there's this narrative, like, coming around that the Wolves will have oh. one of these guys in a year. Yeah, no. I mean, that was the conclusion of my article was like, all right, Garrison, go prove it. Like, prove that letting. Trading Dario Saric, well, that's kind of different, but letting, you know, the Tyus Joneses and the Anthony Tollivers of the world walk so that you could have all this flexibility is going to be worth it. But, you know, it might not be, but I, it sure seems like that's the strategy that he's going to, to stick with. He's going to pursue the star, the star power with one half of his brain, and with the other half of his brain, he's going to totally focus on the draft and player development mm-hmm. and turning yeah. Jarrett Culver and Jordan Bell and Jake Lehman and Noah Vonley into rotational players. I, I, I wanna I wanna get into that the player development part, but like my 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 last thought on just the like the the max cap space thing, I think it's not you can't just think of it as next year. 
like we asked him when we were in Vegas, like, okay, D'Angelo Russell's gone. John Krasinski asked him about, you know, can you shine some light on what the D'Angelo Russell thing was, yada, yada. And he was like, yep, we're always going to pursue players like that. And I followed up with, okay, Russell is gone. Is it still the plan to be pursuing those type of players? And, and he was like, yes, but that could be three months from now or that could be three years from now. That's what he said. So it's like the three years is part of this timeline. Mm-hmm. Like it's not necessarily going to be Beal, McCollum, Booker, or Holiday, or Russell next year. Yeah. It could be two years out. And the reason I think it's less likely for it to be next season, one, you still have Jang on your books. And just right now, they have $104 million on, on the books for next season. The cap's 117. So it's not, they don't have cap space, even though Jeff Teague's gone, like going to be yeah. expiring. Will it have expired? It's not like they have this cap space to go and get a free agent. Just like the, you know, like Kawhi was a free agent this summer, or Kyrie was, yep. or KD. Like they don't have the flexibility to do that. And this free agent class stinks. It's so bad. Except for the restricted free agents. Except the restricted free agents. And that's why, I, so I was like, Draymond Green, okay, his max contract hmm. is 4 151. You know, <laughs> I mean, and Rosa seems like it, it's Draymond. It's Draymond and then Jalen Brown and Pascal Siakam. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. And Siakam and Jalen Brown are going to stay with the Celtics and Raptors. Mm. I, I'll put my money on it. I mean, yeah, obviously yeah, 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 not yeah. for sure. No, no, I don't. But, uh, I mean, that's the difficult thing is that it could be three years, but you can't operate with the assumption that it's going to be three years. Otherwise, you'll tie yourself up and then you'll miss out on the opportunity that does come along in eight to 12 months because it will. It always does. And you just have to be in position whenever it does and assume hope that one of the times it works out in your favor. Okay, so let's let's give them the benefit of the doubt and say power to dry strategy was smart for the summer. Let's say it was. You, that was the smart move. I think it was. Yeah, and I, I, I get that too. I think it was too. Um, but can it be smart another year from now? Can they go have that exact same offseason again next year? That's a hard question because I think that they will if, <laughs> if it works out the same way. I mean, maybe there's like you get a little bit more pressure to kind of take on a two-year deal or something like that mm-hmm. because you go, oh, okay, we won 34 games like – now we got to kind of try to walk the balance between you cool. know we got Rodney Hood. <laughs> like, yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. But it, we, it's it, it becomes the question, like where and I, I I believe this is overblown, but it does beg the Anthony Davis cat, you know, sand running out of the clock sort of thing. I know that'll still be four years left then, but do you take? I think it's fair to say Cat's prime is starting. Maybe started this year. Or, year maybe next like next year cats prime starts so you're going to do two years of cats prime with noah vonley and shabazz napier and like i think i, I don't know i mean it, it's i think i would get it but it's it would be so much less palatable mm-hmm. a year from now i think not who cares what i think to cat like to cat if the i mean the wolves over under is 35 and a half wins mm-hmm. if they went 35 let's say they went 35 games this year that's another that'll be consecutive seasons where they've dropped their when totally they went from 40, where they do 47 yep. with Jimmy, 36 last year. You know, like that's what they're trajecting towards. At, at what point, I remember this was always the narrative with Kevin Love. It was like, you need to kind of show him this progression. They're moving in a direction so as to keep him engaged. And maybe that isn't even a logical thing to do, but like sometimes the, the mind, particularly of a superstar athlete, isn't logical, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah. I do think you've got a couple of years 
before you really have to start worrying about the cat. I, I do too. I, for the record, I do too. I'm just. It, it, it's real though. And, and we've seen him, we've seen now an evidence of the summer where it's like, we'll do a lot if it's available. And if it's not available, we'll do nothing. Yeah. I don't, so that, that to me signals he could do it again. Yeah, me reading the tea leaves is that he would do it again. I yeah. wrote the quote that you brought up from my article that he sees adaptability as a more valuable asset in that pursuit than productive players. I finished that sentence by saying, as deflating as that may sound when imagining the immediate implications, like they got worse. And it seems like Rosas knows what his philosophy is. He's seen it work to pretty resounding success in the past. And he's now got his chance to make it work, you know, exactly how he sees it fit. And he might just look at Carl Anthony Towns as like, this is an amazing player that we have here. And we're going to do everything we can to maximize his window over the next, you know, three, four, five years. But we're not going to shoot ourselves in the foot to do it. And he might just have that in his mind. Like, Cat may not even be worth, like, screwing the franchise over for the next mm-hmm. five years to get one more eight seed. Yeah, we're not going to do the New Orleans Pelicans. Exactly. Thing. Right. No, like, and that's smart. We're going to try that. to peak when Cat is two years away. I just wonder what the balance is there. Totally. You know, and that's, you know, And that's when do you get impatient? Because mm-hmm. certainly executives have had a plan and then gotten impatient in the past. Right. But again, Dell Demps yeah. New Orleans with Anthony Davis. And there's a inherent pressure there, you know, to do it. Fortunately, I think from Minnesota, Minnesota fans is you can start the AD clock, but there's five years. Mm-hmm. There just is. And like, I don't even want to talk about training cat, but like, even if for some reason, if he lost his mind and was like two years from now, he's like, I want out. Okay. So, so you think about how much cat would fetch on, oh. you know, I mean, just what Anthony Davis went for Paul George, all that, like. I don't know. It's it's not as long as you. There's don't, just time. As long there's as you're, it's not a package sent around like Al Jefferson or something. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to talk about. Uh, my, so my article was um, more so like putting away what they could have done. We just went through all that and just being like, okay, this is what they are, and um, you know what? Just in kind of in, at summer league, we have the chance to let's like talk to these guys every day, Rosas and Saunders and Prigioni and Vanterpool and. Um, you know, I'm just was trying to put together like, you know, what so what is this team? Like who who are they and what are they trying to become? And kind of the really basic surface level understanding I came to is from a front office perspective, they're trying to be Houston. From an offensive perspective, they're trying to be Brooklyn. And from a defensive perspective, they're trying to be Portland. And there's totally like gray. In, in all of those and ways they're going to be different in all of them as they should be. Like Brooklyn wasn't that they were the 19th best offense in the league. That was surprising. Year. I, I would have guessed like 11th or something. Right. Yeah. Well, so it's the Houston element is interesting to me because it's like, I feel like that's the safest assumption to be like, yeah, Rosas is going to act like Maury acted like everything that Maury wanted all the time. And he was so, open about it was we're star hunting we need a second star and then they acted on it they went and got Dwight Howard with James Harden and then once that didn't work they went and got Chris Paul to put with James Harden and like that was the move and then along the along the way they surrounded their stars just because of the salary cap with super cheap specific like players who played specific roles and I think what's happening in Minnesota is they couldn't get the second star 
So they've moved on to part B of that, which is, you know, get the the cheap guys on minimum, near minimum deals and start laying that foundation so that it's there when you get the second guy who you know, we're skeptical of how they're going to be able to do it. But who knows how things will shake up? Yeah. Like you wouldn't have thought year. they were going to get Jimmy Butler. Exactly. That's well, you wouldn't have so many things in the NBA would have not have thought exactly like 12 months ago. So I'm we said 4% on all those guys. Like who knows? Mm-hmm. Those things can can greatly vacillate. But I think it's interesting to look at it and be like, all right. So they have like half of part A done. They got one of the stars. So now they've moved into part B and they've done all that. And then I think part C is where it's interesting with with Houston was they ended up getting paying up for role players like guys that cost 15 to 20 million dollars like Eric Gordon, Ryan Anderson, PJ Tucker and Clint Capella once they were ready to compete. Mm-hmm. So I think that's why, like we said, with the whole keep the powder dry is Rosas is like, we are not going to pursue C until both A and B are taken care of. Makes sense, right? Yeah. But along the way is this is where I think the player development thing comes in is you address C in the draft and in getting more out of getting getting Jarrett Culver to be more than you might he's what his expected value is. Turn Jarrett Culver into Clint Capella. Yep. And I think that's a, a wise way if it's your basic strategy is not C if you don't have A and B, that's a good way to start moving towards getting there. Yeah. And um I believe that's what they're doing with Jarrett Culver. And the cap I mean it, it's going to be really interesting because that could also be a way that I mean, those players are kind of have helped Houston get to like a certain level of championship competitiveness. At the same time, Gerson Rosas could look at those three signings, four, Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, Ryan Anderson, and Clint Capella. And And I'll say, say, for the record, P.J. Tucker was a little bit less, but it was a four-year mid-level exception deal. It was like 440. But they're kind of those like middling contracts. Mm -hmm. And Rosas could look at that and go, that's not me. Like that was our biggest mistake signing Ryan, I, yeah. Ryan Anderson was the biggest mistake we made. Was, That's a good point. Was what held us back from beating golden state. Even Clint Capella, like we, we kind of had to do that one. We drafted him and developed him. And well, we, who, who are the guys that everyone's talk about them potentially trading for Jimmy Butler? Yeah. Eric Gordon, Clint Capella, yep. PJ Tucker. So yeah, exactly. But in, and maybe that's something that Rosas looks at even differently because hmm. we've talked about it in the past. Like, it's really hard if you're going to have several max players. It's hard to build a, a it's hard to build a roster around that. So to your point, if you can take advantage of player development and always have you know rookies at the end of their rookie scale deal that are performing mm-hmm. relatively well, or you can take advantage of having those players bird right, bird rights when you want to resign them, like that can be really advantageous. But I think that idea of those like paying up, maybe not overpaying, but I like I say paying mm-hmm. up for those rotation pieces when you are ready to compete that's something that i'll be really interested to watch how rosas approaches and maybe they won't have to if Jared culver yeah strikes or yep or jalen noel turns into a a bona fide 40 percent three-point shooter mm-hmm. um or you know what if you get andrew wiggins to be a guy who's worth 20 million yeah you know maybe not i, I don't really ever see him being worth like the 30 million that he's being paid but a 20 million like that's player development too mm-hmm um, and I have Josh Okogie, Keita Bates-Diop. Maybe they can't get all the way to that level, but you know what doesn't cost any cap space? 
player development. Yeah, totally. Like, that's a, that is the wisest thing, you know, to invest in. And if that's what you're focusing on, they really have filled their chest with an interesting collection of, of jewels. Like I was thinking just because I said it twice, then you said it twice, like interesting would be a good like drinking game word for people to, to do we, use. Do we that. say it a we lot? We say interesting a lot. <laughs> Jeez. Now, it's now, now I'm not going to be able to stop thinking about that. But they have a fascinating <laughs> collection of players in that chest now. Like as even Andrew Wiggins, like you say, you'll, you'll forget about him. They need to develop him. But then you've also got Okogi Culver and, you know, Bates Diop, Noel, basically rookies. And then you've also got, like, the Jordan Bells of the world, the Noah Vonleys and Jake Lehmans, where you're like, you know, you guys have kind of played a lot, but you still got something to prove. Like, let's see if you can prove it here, mm-hmm. if we can help you prove it. If player development really is the focus, they did a decent job of getting some interesting players. Interesting. <laughs> Shit. Um, no, okay, so so that's the gray. That That's the gray element of it is... How they handle C, the paying up for vets and how player development works into that. And I think that's a good sign. That's a good gray area to live in. Um, with Brooklyn, I think that the offensive stuff is, um, it's, it really like deserves some peeling back. We, we talked about the positions a little bit where, you know, the, the one point, the three wings and the one big. And um, Brooklyn, like the Wolves roster is really lining up to parallel Brooklyn's roster from last year. If you, if you look at it with numerous lead ball handlers in D'Angelo Russell, Karis LeVert, Spencer Dinwiddie. I mean, with the Wolves, that's, I think that's, you know, Teague, Wiggins, Culver, Napier. Yeah. You know, maybe Napier and Napier was on Brooklyn. He was kind of that fourth guy there. Yeah. So maybe the, the fourth guy again here. So I see that. Um, and then on the wing that, just like Brooklyn, they had all these different types and sizes of wings who also kind of played quote unquote power forward. And it's the same in Minnesota with like, you know, the, the Covingtons and the layman's being, you know, are the, the Damari Carroll's and Rodian's Kuruks. I think I'm saying that right. Um, and then like Jared Dudley, Noah Vaughn, like there's just this whole, this glut of wings there. And it's just, it's very similar in that way. And then obviously they had Jared Allen and Ed Davis and the wolves have cat and Gorgie Jang. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Gorgie Jang at the airport. Oh, right on. He said, how do you? Yeah. We're buds now. Cool. <laughs> um, interesting. It was, it was interesting. <laughs> um, yeah. So I, I think they're very similar in that way. Uh, the, the thing in digging into Brooklyn a mo- little bit more while I was reading this is one, as I said before, that offense was like, Okay, they were fun. Like shot a bunch of threes every mm-hmm. year. Every year since Atkinson took over three years ago, they've been top five in three point frequency. But they did not play fast, and we put those things. We've made those things synonymous: three point shooting and playing fast. And it's not. It, it, it's it's not the same thing. What Brooklyn did well was they got the ball into the half court quickly. But once they were there, and the tra- transition opportunity went away. They took their time, and I think that's what you'll you'll see here is quickly into the half court. Do we have a transition opportunity? Is you know is Cat running the lane? Is you know is there a, a pull up three available? Or can we swing swing for a quick you know corner three for a Kogi? Hopefully someone else. <laughs> um, and then if not, you kind of you pull it back, and 
I think they'll play a lot, like actually like the summer league team did, where it's a lot of that weaving through. I think pick and roll will be more prevalent than it was in summer league, but there was really this like penetrate and a, a real commitment to penetration and kicking. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what you'll see. I really think that's what you'll see with this group. And it won't – it will be fast, and Rosas and Ryan say this all the time. They're like, we're going to be fast. They're going to be fast into the half court, and then they're going to be discerning once they get there. Would be, And that, that would be – that was optimized Brooklyn basketball, and I think that's what you'll see with this team. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. I think another <laughs> – I think another one of the most interesting things that you said uh, – from this section of your column was about their player combinations and how few minutes they played together. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Yeah, because you could, I can imagine it. If you look at it. And, and we, what we mean by that was, I'll, I'll say, is yeah. like they're, you can go on NBA.com and they have their five man player combination, like your most used lineups. Mm-hmm. And the, the, in 2017 18, as we know with Tibbs, he wanted to play starters together as much as possible. And that that group of guys, the, the Butler year, they played 1,100 minutes together. In Brooklyn, their most used lineup last year was 189. And I was like, oh, no, that's because they were, like, super injured. And I was like, no, who got Levert? That mm-hmm. was it. He's really the only guy who got yeah. hurt for them. It, yeah. was a, it was a commitment to shuffling different units at different times, you know, testing the water, hey, what works, but then also being like, we're going to make the opponent adjust to us. Yeah. Well, and I I think you can imagine that within the context of this Timberwolves roster where you look at it and maybe you say, okay, Covington and Carl Anthony Towns are kind of the pillars of the lineup that we'd like to have out there in an ideal world. And now we got to mix and match around them to figure out what works best, what optimizes them. There are so many combination of combinations of these players that you should try out. Like, do you put Covington at the three and then Lehman at the four and then Cat, or Vonley and then Cat, or Bell and then Cat, or do you put Covington at the four and then slide Wiggins in at the three? And then, you know, what do you do in the front court? Do you try Napier and Culver or Teague and Napier? And like, mm-hmm. it's so easy to imagine just these dozens and dozens of roster combinations being run out. It's also interesting to think about how that translates to success. You know, because I think yeah, that there it is... It probably doesn't. It probably huh? doesn't because there is some value to continuity. We well, did The Wolves were good. We saw that. That, 1100, that, that, that lineup was awesome. Was awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. I, I think what'll be interesting is how does... Interesting? <laughs> God, I'm <laughs> off. How... <laughs> oh, God, I lost my thought. Um, how, how do you get those... How do you optimize? Yeah. You know, how do, how do you optimize that group and... And and what is, what are Cat and Wiggins and the incumbent players? You know, what what is their threshold of comfort going to be with? All of a sudden, you're spinning in you know new units all the time. Like that might be a transition in and of itself. Like, which I don't know. I mean, the, <laughs> we're kind of optimistically talking about all this, but the reality of it is, change is coming. Like and. And that usually doesn't lead to success immediately. Mm-hmm. And it's it's the reason it's going to be really hard for the Wolves to win 40 games next year. Like, really hard. They got they just got worse. Like, on paper, talent, they got worse. Now, if it's some perfect storm of great health and, like, 
just a, optimized play. A, I mean that. Yeah. New, yeah. How a, do you how do you make up for that talent gap? Are are op, you playing efficiency? Op, yeah. Are you yeah? Are you playing offense more efficiently? And are you executing defensively better? Yep. And and do you get Covington for seventy games? That's going to make a huge difference this year, I think. Yeah. Totally. Um. Man, man, I, but, but I, is it? Are you like assuming? I I don't know. Everyone. Every time I read something about Covington, it's always like, comma, if healthy, like, what, why, why, I don't know. And this is just kind of a general, like, way of assessing risk. I think we get to this point with guys being injured and we go, okay, they, they've played only 50 games the last three years, meaning they cannot play more than 50 games next season. Yeah. It's like, I, I don't know, if th- I don't think that's true. I think you're right that it gets overstated, but I think there are two reasons that people bring it up with Covington. One is that the throughout his career, last year he played 35 games, 80 the year before, 67, 67, 49. Yeah, 49, was he even like in it then? No, actually that was 70. Like, My bad. 49 <laughs> started. But I think that the that's one reason, that he hasn't totally had a healthy career. But okay, the other 67, though, that's one year. That's one year that it was last year that he was hurt. Two sixty sevens in 60, a row. Okay, is sixty seven that bad? Mm, it's it's getting there. It's getting to the point where you miss fifteen games. Like that's a huge difference if you're a play, a borderline playoff team. You're, you're you're right, but I what think, is the average? What is the expected total of a twenty eight year old's games played for a season? Gotta be like seventy three or something. No, but what about all the guys who get hurt and play fifteen? I mean. We're talking about means, medians, whatever. Like, I, I just don't think. I, I, I know I'm not coming at you. I'm just saying no, it's I like in that, general. That, like, I think that if you looked at the players who were like guaranteed spots every night, I think it it probably would come out to like 72. Maybe hmm. I'm just totally Maybe. wrong. That'd be interesting. But anyways, I think that <laughs> <laughs> the the bigger reason is because last year was bizarre. He got a bone bruise and then we never saw him again. I think that's why yeah. you get all of the caveats. And like two weeks ago, we found out that he's cleared for practice. It was like, Maybe if you just would have been honest the whole time and said Robert Covington is going to rehab and be healthy for mm-hmm. preseason next year, you wouldn't see all those caveats. Yeah. But they didn't do that. They goofed that up. That started with Tibbs. Yeah, yeah. And I, I'm not to put everything on, you know, Tibbs isn't the worst, whatever, the worst thing in the world, but they they started with it. And this was this was Tibbs' MO with all injuries. It was it was th- same thing two years ago with Nemiabi Elitsa. Day to day, missed sixteen straight games. Like you said, that same thing with Jeff Teague. When Jeff Teague missed like fourteen, yep. he was never forthcoming about that. I mean, he was basically giving where it was like his line was we're assessing it every day with Robert. Like, which of course, yeah. But <laughs> but that leads to that isn't forthcoming, which created a narrative that you know Ryan just kind of you know it's like once Tibbs was fired, kept kept going with and it created this narrative where your second best player has now been labeled as injury prone Mm -hmm. and i just i don't maybe he is yeah i don't think he is is though yeah i agree it's and it's too bad it's too bad for him it won't for me that will not factor into my assessment i will assume that he is the expected value of a 28 whatever that is it factors into my assessment because I think there's such a drop off from this team's second best player to their third. Fair. You know, I 
we don't need to get into who that is, but I do think you probably, and maybe this is a, a mistaken way of thinking about it. Maybe Carl Anthony Towns has been too healthy and he's due to, for like a, a reversion toward that. I mean, knock on wood, hopefully he's not. And Wiggins too. And Wiggins too. But you kind of assume health from those guys and maybe this is recency bias or whatever. You, I just don't from Covington because I'm used to day-to-day bone bruise and I'm just because he's their second best player. I think if they lose him, yeah, it can go bad. Yeah, I also just think they were like low-key tanking, and that's also why Teague only played forty-three games. I mean, Teague was—I remember Teague getting ruled out for the, you know, ruled out for the rest of the season with like twenty-five games to go. And I saw him in the gym later that week, like full-on getting shots up. It's like if if Robert Covington is actually injured. It doesn't matter what narrative you're trying to get out there. Like, he's hurt. There's nothing you can do about it. Pe- yeah. People get it. Yeah, it's fine. You don't need to lie about <laughs> yeah, it. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, well, Tibbs was, you can, uh, Tibbs was paranoid. Like, he was. Yeah. That's just kind of how it, that's just kind of how it went. <laughs> um, the, the last part, and, and really, I, I don't know if, well, I guess you could argue this is the most important. I was going to say, I don't know if it's the most important, but the defense, it's, um, it's fascinating. To me, the the hiring of David Vanterpool. We kind of went into this on on a previous podcast, but now I've actually had the the opportunity to talk to him. And the reason it's fascinating is because of the way that Portland defended with Yusuf Nurkic, which was successful, largely or above average. Um, But it was the same style defensively that Cat has played for his whole career as the dropping big, the not not in a switch-heavy defense because Nurkic was – the first thing when I asked Mantipool about this, he goes, well, Nurk was seven foot, 300 pounds, or I think he said 295. Um, so we prioritize having him scare people from getting to the house. They, he says, we call it the house, and Nurk protected the house. And, yes, we had to, like, make concessions for him out on the perimeter because uh, he wasn't going to get out there and move his feet. So we had him protect the house, and he did a good job of that. And that can work in the NBA. Less and less, fewer and fewer teams are doing that. Most of the teams that are, it's like necessitated because you have Yusuf Nurkic, you have Hassan Whiteside, you have Joel Embiid. They're just these massive creatures who can't get out on the perimeter and move their feet. That's where Cat comes in, though, where he's been terrible at that. Worst, I mean... The most glaring stat on Cat's whole resume is every season and under all every different coach, the Timberwolves have had a better defensive rating with him off the floor than when he's been on the floor, sometimes glaringly so. And he was playing that Yusuf Nurkic drop scheme, protect the house defense. So how does David Vanterpool calculate for that? He said, he goes, well, talk to Cat, and he seems really eager to get out and move his feet. But we're gonna have to determine if that's, you know, the right thing for us. He he wasn't. He he wasn't straight and being like, "This is what we're gonna do." But nobody's no defensive coach. If you went to the league, you were like, "Hey, so what defensive scheme are you gonna run against pick and rolls?" All thirty would be like, "We don't just run one thing." Yeah. Yep. Like it's maybe it'll be eighty percent of the time mm-hmm. they do this, but it's that's not how that's not how defense works. It's not like that. What I used in in my article was it's not like in football where you have a base set of a three, four or a four, three, like it, it's all dependent on a bunch of different characteristics that said Tibbs was the guy 
who, I mean, that was his history in Boston, Chicago, yep. and, and in Minnesota at the beginning where it was this conservative approach. That said, Tibbs backed off of that mm-hmm. once Covington was on the team. So largely my, my assumption is that it's going to be a mixture. Yeah. They're going to try different things, and they should. Like, they shouldn't completely go away from dropping Cat into the lane and having him protect the house like they want to. But they should try other, more aggressive, blitzing, trapping, whatever, switching type of type of schemes out there. And if anything, show him that he's bad at it. Because it's enlightened if, if he's going to be. I'm not saying that he is, because I yeah. think he's he's shown at least flashes that he could be good at it. But if anything, if you have this year of evaluation, if you have this year of like trying things out, trying lineups out, then try schemes out too. Because totally. it's really enlightening that Vanterpool, when asked, said Cat has expressed a desire to get out and move his feet. That's interesting. Jeff Teague was always the one saying, like, you know, why aren't we switching? What are we doing? Cat wasn't. So it's, it's on some level enlightening to know that that's what he's thinking. I was also blew my mind a little bit when they hired Vanterpool and then to keep learning about how, you know, mm-hmm. he was the guy who implemented this drop scheme in Portland because for the last three, six, 12 months, we've been talking about how it would be great to see the Timberwolves be more aggressive in how they defend the pick and roll. Mm-hmm. But now it seems like even if we get, you know, some variety of schemes it's not going to be like this, like switch, switch, switch. And every time they get asked about switching, they say, yeah, yeah, you know, I want to switch the same size guys. Mm-hmm. And like they really preface it. So it's just, it's going to be another thing that's. I don't think it's going to be a full on shift. No, I really don't. If anything, it's going to be very similar. I think that's the safest yeah. assumption. Yeah. And, and that could be okay. And it's why it, in, in my piece, and there's an awesome, I'll tweet out this, this video, or like quote tweeted or whatever. So you can find it. It's, it's Damian Lillard talking. It was after game two of the playoffs um, talking about his progression as, as a defender. And, and I mean, Lillard is very poignant and is, kills it where he's just like, I, I quoted part of it in my article. He's like, early in my career, I was criticized a lot about my defense. A lot of times young players in the NBA struggle because you don't understand the NBA lingo. You don't know the terms. You don't know kind of what to expect. And he goes into like, all this terminology about weaking a pick and roll, like all, all the all these different things. And he continues to say, now I'm not watching film to see highlights of myself. I'm watching film to see how I can take advantage of the other team, how I can give myself a chance to play better against the other team. And a lot of that is defensively, going over stuff with Coach Vantapool and then going out there and taking the challenge. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I watched that and was thinking about that. I'm like, so I'm thinking about this whole cat thing compared to Nurkic. The comparison you need to draw is Lillard. Totally. Lillard stunk at defense. Yeah. And Cat stunk at defense. Stinks. Stinks. <laughs> and it's can you get Cat to care? He obviously cares. Care but about the right things. Can he care about the right things? And I, I was thinking, I mean, b- before seeing that or just, just watching the, the Blazers in the playoffs, they were, and it's why they beat the Thunder. It's why they killed the Thunder is not even Lillard, but McCollum. He was so intentional about defense. And you just go back, like, pull up pull up part of that game or whatever and watch C.J. McCollum play in that game. And he's an undersized two-guard, and he's just squaring up with Paul George, and it's every single possession, it's important to him. And it, you, you can't miss it. And that is coaching. Mm-hmm. That is defensive coaching, 
and it was the playoffs, so obviously you got to ramp it up. But you know what? Cats got to ramp it up. Every possession, it needs to be important because, yeah, you can go get your 30 points and you can get your rebounds and whatever. You know what? This team is always going to stink. That's how it works in the NBA. Your team is always going to stink if your center stinks at defense, period. Can David Vanterpool have the same effect on Cat that he did on Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, all those guys in Portland? If he can, that is a hell of a signing. Totally, because of everything that we've talked about throughout the entirety, you know, besides bringing in a Kevin Durant, of everything that we've talked about throughout this podcast, like maximizing scheme, bringing in the right players in free agency, making the right trade, Andrew Wiggins getting better. Above all that, the one thing that could probably help this team more than anything is Cat becoming a defensive stalwart. Like if he mm-hmm. can get to above average on the defensive end, they just have, when he's out there, an amazing baseline. Because you got Covington at the point of attack. And they're, they're never going to be worth than 12th on offense. A, a, I mean, a Kogi on the wing, yeah. Culver projects to it, a minimum be solid, solid and, and wise. For a young player, mm-hmm. I think I mean that's the biggest thing I've gathered from watching him. Agreed. Is that I mean, the Timberwolves do not need to be a bad defense. No, they do not need to be a bad defense, and they won't be if Cats makes a stride there. And to his credit, he made a stride last season. I think so, but it's got to be a bigger stride. Yeah. And if he does, the Timberwolves can be a good defense. They really can. They have the pieces. You have the players. And if they come in at. 16th in defensive rating and they're going to be 11th in offensive rating like they're going to win more games than you think you might make the playoffs but vegas at 35 wins is saying you're not going to get better at defense let's talk about vegas and just to encapsulate that and i would there, there's a lot more in, in charlie's piece and my piece i mine's really long um it was just basically everything i gathered about the team um at summer league that it's a from a reporter standpoint like working with these guys is just so night and day different of like having your questions answered. I mean, I really got to a point just for me where in writing about the team, I started using quotes less and less, Mm -hmm. particularly at the beginning of season with Tibbs last year. Uh, One, he didn't allow us to talk to assistant coaches. Some of the players, I mean, I talked to them, like became phobic of talking to us because they were, when they would say something, they would get a talking to. It's like the, Talking to Prigioni, Vanterpool, Saunders, and Rosas, like you ask a question and you get an answer. Maybe not every detail of it, which that's they're right, but you get a, a, a direct answer. And I think, like, as a fan, I'm assuming you're a big Timberwolves fan if you listen to this podcast and that stuff will interest you. There will be so much more insight into what the coaching staff is doing, what the players are working on, and, and how they're thinking about everything because now they're going to be allowed to. And I don't know. It's good for me. And I think that's a healthy environment, and it's a good way to promote your product. Absolutely. It makes it more fun to to watch every game because you have an idea of what you're rooting for. Imagine if Rosas hadn't been so upfront about, you know, <laughs> wanting to keep flexibility, wanting to chase mm-hmm. stars, wanting to focus on player development. We'd be like, what the what happened? Did you did do they this strike out on everyone? <laughs> did no one want to come right. to Minnesota? Like that's why we can have a a somewhat constructive conversation about all mm-hmm. this is because he's dropped hints along the way about mm-hmm. what he's trying to do and good on him too because we could be ripping him a lot more than we were if we didn't feel like us if i didn't feel like yeah. someone smart had a plan and they were trying to execute absolutely. it absolutely i think and to, 
Vanterpool's comments I thought were particularly like interesting talking about talking about Nurkic talking about defense and and that and he's just like a he really seems to me to be a to be a sharp dude so check that out check out that's obviously its own coverage and yeah read our stuff over-unders came out I don't know if it's Vegas or like Europe or whatever but um the Wolves came in at 35 and a half wins over under um which was which tied them in 11th with Sacramento which was, honestly that was like right about where I thought they would be the worst in the west will work backwards Phoenix 26 and a half Memphis 27 and a half Oklahoma City 32 and a half Sacramento 35 and a half Minnesota 35 and a half New Orleans 36 and a half Dallas 41 and a half and those are the non playoff teams yeah so and I think it's important to kind of focus on the teams that they're around more mm-hmm. than that win total because I, from my understanding, a lot of what that win total is breaking down is like what the disparity in the league is going to yep. look like. Like if it's really top heavy, you'll have mm-hmm. more teams with more wins and more teams with fewer wins. So I at least try to focus more on the teams that they're around. I, I no, me, me too. That was that was kind of my takeaway. And you know, thinking about like, I, I don't know how much. Are we? Sh- I, I, in my opinion, I think they're better than the Kings, and I just in talking, you know, having conversations at summer league, different people disagree with that. But I, I feel confident in saying they're going to win more games than Phoenix, Memphis, Oklahoma City, and Sacramento. The next tier kind of becomes the Pelicans and the Mavericks. Um, I, I, I think you can, you can say reasonably that'll be higher than the Pelicans. I mean, they're just young. They have just as much change. Mm-hmm. They have more change than the Wolves do. Um, then Dallas is, is up there at another level. Unfortunately, even if you're able to usurp both of those teams, you're still just the ninth seed. <laughs> so um, I don't know, though. The, the next up and two more. But they could usurp all those teams. They could. They could, yeah. That would be, you know, I think that's a an optimistic, realistic projection is is the ninth being the ninth best team in the West? Anything above that, like making the playoffs, is is a long is a longer shot. Um, and you know things things change and teams move down. You know, you think about like the, the Pelicans last year. I'm sure their projection was like 45, and they won like 31 because everything yeah, I think it was like 47 or 48. Yeah, like it, it those. Those things can move, and San Antonio's up there right now. They're the eighth seed. Portland, seven. Golden State, six. Denver, five. Houston, four. Lakers, three. Utah, two. Clippers, one. Um, I mean, the Wolves don't have a shot to really get up into that tier, but I don't know. Like, San Antonio, that seems about the ceiling for me. It was interesting to me that Dallas got... What was it, like five or six more projected wins than either six. the Pelicans or the Wolves? That's- well, five more than the Pelicans, six more than the Wolves and Kings. Okay. Um, what I think, I'm one thing I'm excited about is that for the first time in three, four years, it seems like the Wolves are in, obviously they can underperform, but they're in more of a position to just kind of exceed expectations this year. Like hmm. nobody's really counting on you to do much. Like go out there and prove them wrong. Whereas last year it was, okay, you know, Cat should take another step. Wiggins, Jimmy, Cat should gel a little bit more. Like, we should really be talking this year. The year before that, it was, you know, this better work with Cat and Jimmy once they made that trade. And I think finally 
going back to kind of when it was like the Levine Wiggins Towns days. Not that this is that necessarily bad, yeah. a good thing or that this team is as bad as those teams were, but they're in a position to exceed expectations. I think for the first time, obviously they always could have won 60 mm-hmm. games and shocked us, but a more realistic position to exceed expectations. And I think that that's something that hopefully can galvanize a team that's clearly an afterthought in, in the eyes of the league entering the season. Over or under? I would, I would like to think about it more. But I think we'll do, we'll definitely do like a full on yeah. all thirty teams. So I'm going to save like my concrete answer for yeah. that. But my gut is over. What about you? It's, I, I think it's kind of right on. I think it's about right on too. Cop out answer. But. I don't, I don't know anything about how to project Rosas's um, potential desire to tank, mm-hmm. but Ooh. I kind of think that he will be averse That's to a factor. it. And if my gut, my guess that he's averse to tanking, especially when Cat's on the team, then they could just be a team who stays competitive all year while other teams, you know, kind of fall off and start thinking about the future. They they have a roster that would make sense to be sellers at the deadline. Yep. And even like even if they sold Teague, you know, if someone's like needs a point guard and trying to make the playoffs, like that would hurt the Wolves, mm-hmm. given who their other point guard options are, obviously, in a major oh, yeah. way. Oh, yeah. And I could see that likely happening. Even, like, some of those role players, the Von, like, Monley could easily be traded at the deadline if he's, you know, playing well and the Wolves are going to be the 11th seed. Like, yeah, you trade him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, a lot of the guys are on one-year contracts. E- even if they traded Gorgie Jang, which would be a good long-term move, like, that, that would probably hurt their – win potential because I think he's going to have I don't know somewhat of a role I think he's right now he's a well he's better than the other backup center options and like Jordan Bell yeah um so so yeah I I hadn't thought about like the tanking element of it I I will say this I will take over slightly over for now um we'll see how everything shakes out and yeah go back to it it'll be fun to do a more serious over yeah we literally I, I sent you this like an hour before i was like hey look at these are out <laughs> <laughs> um so we'll, we'll we'll think about it more and um yeah and, and dig into that in the future again check out those uh articles its own coverage again there's a bunch of cool quotes i think it's um for me it was informative to you know to get to know what you know prigioni he he talked about analytics a lot and and Vanderpool talked about defense. Those were, you know, those were insightful. And Rosas kind of said his normal stuff of, you know, we want stars and yeah, and if not, we we want cheap guys. <laughs> um, so that, you know, that, I think that I think that's that's worth looking into. And um, I think we finally hit the off season. Yeah, I think we did too. And you know, and props to the the summer league team. Like that was that was sweet. That was cool. They Nas were- Reed, interesting player. Like yeah. Interesting player to have on a two-way. Lot to work on. He's got to lose some weight, weight. <laughs> and uh, add some miles. Yeah, man. The watching him jump and move. Laterally. He had this foot thing. So that that's my question with him is he has he has a foot injury. So can he not jump because he has a foot injury or can is, he not jump? Yeah, I don't know. We'll we'll see. But uh, those things are all you know. We have plenty of time to dig into before before the season starts. So. Thanks for jumping back in and listening to us. Uh, I think we'll be back next week. We'll do another one, and in August is when we'll start taking a little. Perfect. Well, break, ra- break. rate and review Dane's podcast. Yes, rate and review. Say, say the same thing every time. Yeah. So thanks for listening to us. I'm Dane Moore at Dane Moore MBA. Follow our stuff at Zone Coverage MN. Charlie's at C Johns MBA. Till next time. Peace out.